If you want to follow along in your Bibles, uh, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture together. First one in Luke 24, second one in Romans 8. If you want to just listen, that's okay too. Luke 24, beginning at verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away. Wondering to himself what had happened. And from Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Maybe you saw this on the internet this week. It was posted widely. Greatest man in history had no servants, yet they called him master. Had no degree, yet they called him teacher. Had no medicines, yet they called him healer. Had no army, yet kings feared him. He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. He committed no crime, yet they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb, yet he lives today. His name is Jesus. Do you believe? Thank you for believing. Sometimes we, we believe, but yet we, we 
don't believe. Sometimes we express faith in Christ. We, we hear this account of his crucifixion and his resurrection, and, and we believe. But then there are moments that come to our minds, maybe not all of us, but some of us, those moments when we wonder about just history, how things get shifted along the course of years as things go by, and how many things really happened in the past, and how many of them were myth. How many of them are just societal ways of explaining things that uh, seem to make sense in just an analogy, and across the course of time, we, we think some of them are true. You know, things like Santa Claus. But do you believe? Do you really believe? Ken Davis is a great speaker, teacher. Many of you have heard him. He's a comedian. One of the stories he tells is from his college years. He was in a speech class, and his assignment was to give a persuasive speech. And so being a creative kind of person, he set about to make the most creative speech he could make to persuade people to believe a scientific theory. Now, whether this is the scientist's name for it or his name for it, I don't know, but he called it the pendulum theory. And he explained to the class as he started his speech that when you take a pendulum and you raise it up and let go of it, from whatever point you let go of it, it will never return to that point. You've seen that. You've watched pendulums go back and forth. And you know that as they go, they begin losing energy and other forces begin to weigh on them and they slow and they lessen their arc until they just hang still in the center. And so he wanted to really prove this, so he took a child's toy, a top, and he thumbtacked it to the top of the chalkboard, raised it up, let it go, and at each point as it swung back and forth, he put a chalk mark that just kept getting closer and closer together until the pendulum stopped. It took less than a minute for that to happen. And he looked at his students, the class, his fellow students, and said, do you believe the pendulum theory? Yeah, we believe, we all believe. You've done a good job, you've persuaded us. And his professor got up thinking that his speech was done, and, and he looked at his professor as only Ken Davis can do and said, oh, well, we're not, we're not finished yet. We're not finished yet. And he grabbed a chair, and he had a table up next to a wall, and he sat a chair on top of the table and invited his professor to sit in the chair. And the chair was back against the wall so that the head could not move any farther back. And it was at that moment that people began to understand in the classroom why there was about 250 pounds of of weights hanging from a rope in the middle of the room. Probably not the middle, but, you know. And he looked at his professor and said, do you believe in the pendulum theory? What's the professor going to say? Of course I do. And so he took those weights and he pulled them up until they were just a fraction of a bit away from the nose of his professor. And he looked at him and says, do you believe the pendulum theory? 
the pendulum will never return to its release point. And he let them go. And they swung away from the professor and made their arc across. And they began coming back. And at one moment, Ken says, I saw a human being move faster than I've ever seen one move in my life. As the professor jumped from the chair. Do you believe? Do you really believe? I suppose a case could be made that Ken shouldn't have gotten an A for that speech because he wasn't able to convince his professor that the pendulum would not return to its release point. But do you believe? We gather together to worship today because of a story, not a fiction story, a true story. The story of one who came because of the love of God, who entered history, who, being God himself, put on human flesh and moved into our neighborhood and lived among us and showed us a way of life that was beyond and different than anything we'd ever seen in history. He talked about things that just were so countercultural and so different and yet so refreshing and sweet to those who heard him in person. I wish I could have been there to hear him teach in person. Someday I'll get to do that. And he taught about a way of life where forgiveness could come, where joy could be found where shame could be released, where justice could be done, where the poor could be helped, where the rich could learn that they aren't here to serve, to be served, but to serve. He taught about a way of life that was so different. He taught that those who think they have status in life really don't. They just have a greater responsibility to help others and a greater opportunity to help others. And he taught that through the sacrifice of one life, his own, that the sins of all humankind could be forgiven, that your sins could be forgiven, that my sins could be forgiven. Do you believe? Do you believe that piece of teaching from history of this world? You see, it's all about the love of God. It's, it's summed up in, in a verse that you all know, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's about the love of God. I want to talk about the love of God today. It's the love of God that pursues us with an unending love. Most Bible scholars teach us that the the whole reason that God created the earth and created humankind was because he wanted relationship with us, that he wanted a love relationship to know us, to love and to be loved, that he wanted friendship with us. The Bible word is fellowship with us. And we see that seeking of God after us from the very beginnings of history In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve had fallen into sin, had made the unthinkable choice to disobey God, and they broke their relationship with him, and yet what happened? God came seeking them. He enters the garden, and uh, 
of course, he, he knew where they were because he's God, after all. But yet he allowed them to play out their little game that they could hide from him. And he moves through the garden and he says, where are you? Where are you, Adam and Eve? He pursues them. He looks for them. He finds them. And he helps them, even though it was not in the way that he wanted to have a relationship with them. He helps them deal with the newfound shame that they have. He clothes their bodies. But he also talks to them about the consequence of their disobedience. About the toil and the labor and the pain and the grief and the separation of God. And I know, if I know anything about the pages of the Bible, and I think I know a little bit, most of us here know a little bit, I know that that moment grieved God's heart. Because he wants us to love him. And he pursues us with an unending love. It was because of that fallenness in the garden that he began sending his teachers and his prophets to give the people spiritual direction, to show them the way back to him. No longer in the garden because they had defiled it with their wrong choices. But he sought them. He looked for them. He sent generation after generation of prophets to speak to his people about the truth and the wisdom of God. And what did we do? We kept disobeying. Person after person, generation after generation, we turned our back to the love of God. Oh, not totally. We, we want the love of God, don't we? But we want it our way. We want it under our conditions. We want to be able to direct and course the, the course of our life and our faith. But God kept pursuing. He recorded his promises in the Bible so that we could read them, know them, and have them. He ordained that men would pen his wisdom and preserve it so that uh, across millennia we could have a book like this one that tells us about the love of God and how we can know him. God pursues us with a love unlike any other, a love that will never end. God provides all that we need to know of his love and forgiveness. He tells us all of it. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, have you ever been really keenly aware of your powerlessness? When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us, isn't it? He died for us. Scripture goes on, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. We've just remembered over the last three days the the passion of Christ 
the laying down of his life, the agony that he went through, the torture he bore, the death that he died in one of the most inhumane ways that man has ever devised for a person to die. He died for us in agony, in separation from God. Why? Because God was providing all that we need to have a love relationship with him. And because God demonstrates his love for us, we have the opportunity in Jesus to throw ourselves upon his mercy. We have the opportunity for our sins to be forgiven. There's no longer a charge against us, Romans chapter 8 says, if we come to Christ. If we find forgiveness and hope in his name, there is no charge against us. His love pours itself into our life and we are forever changed. Why is there no charge against us? It's because of the work of the cross. It's because of what God provided so that we could have a relationship with him again. One of the things that Jesus spoke as he hung on the cross was a simple little sentence that translate to to English in three words. It is finished. Those three little words carry a lot of power. In the Greek, it's actually only one word. It is finished. One word. It's the word that that, uh, Jesus' time, they would have just said, to tell us die. It was a common word was a word that was used in the marketplace. And when you, you went to the market and you, you paid your account, it's like going to Kohl's and paying off your credit card after you ran up all of those Kohl's bucks or whatever they call them, you know. And they give you a receipt. And the, the merchant would take a stamp. And in that stamp, he would put it across the bill to tell us die. Paid in full. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was accomplished so that your sins could be paid in full. So that there would be no more record of condemnation against you when you come to faith in him. Now there is that prerequisite (laughs) that you come to faith in him. That you invite him in your life, you ask him for forgiveness. And he comes. And he forgives And he changes you and he makes you new. God loves you so much. So very much. That he went to the end of his resource to be able to be sure that you could have a loving relationship with you, with him. He paid in full the debt, providing all that we need in order to know his love and forgiveness. God promises us that his love is never-ending. Never-ending. There is no outside force that can take God's love from us. The Apostle Paul said it in height, depth, principalities, powers, things present, things to come. Nothing outside of us can take God's love from us. The only thing that will keep you from experiencing God's love is your sin and unbelief. That's the only thing. So that question I asked over and over and over at the beginning is is really important, isn't it? Do you believe? 
Do you believe that Jesus gave his life and resurrected to new life so that we could have forgiveness? God has done his part. We must now do ours. Do we believe? If you believe that he is alive, if you believe that he died to break the power of sin and death, then live for him. Trust him. Don't jump out of the chair because life comes at you and you wonder if God is really there. Oh, he's there. He's with you. And his love will sustain you and help you. Pastor TJ referred to it earlier. The the name of our church has very deep meaning for us. John 5, 24 says, Very truly I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Our whole ministry is summed up in this verse. We want to help people make the crossing from death to life, from an existence without God, locked in shame, sin, despair, and hopelessness, to a life with Christ. We want the love of God to flow into your life because you've made the crossing to faith in him. We, we believe Jesus lived, really lived, that he really died. We believe that he was more than just a human being like those of us sitting in this room. While he was a person, a real person. He was also God himself come to earth, living in, our, in this world. It's a mystery, the Bible says. How, do, how is a person God and man at the same time? I, I don't know. I can't explain that one for you. It's just something I believe by faith. It's something I've come to know and to understand. The Apostle John said it this way, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Christ came to earth. He lived a sinful life, sinful, a sinless life. Glad I caught that one myself before some of you told me about that great error. And while on earth, what did he do? To tell us die. He paid our debt. He offers us forgiveness and grace and hope. He offers us a way back to a relationship with God where we can experience the love of God that's beyond description. He died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins and rose from the grave to purchase a place for us in heaven. And what have we done? prophet said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity, the sin of us all. Jesus Christ bore our sin and his body on the cross, and now he offers to us eternal life, forgiveness, grace. We receive it by faith. Faith isn't just we know the story. 
It's just we have an intellectual understanding. It's not that. Faith isn't something that's just temporary that comes and goes. When we're in the moment of need and the pendulum is coming toward us, we can have Jesus, and when it's moving away, we just live our own life. It's not that. That's not faith. Faith, real faith, saving faith, is trusting in Jesus Christ alone for our forgiveness, for our eternity, for our peace and our hope now. It means that we rest on him and what he has done. And we quit trying to earn our way in heaven because we can't. We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and we are saved. Do you believe? Because it's such an important matter, let me just clarify it again, what it means to believe. It means that you need to transfer your trust. You transfer your trust from what you're doing to try to find your way to God and give up on that hopeless task. And you trust in what Christ has done for you on the cross. It means you accept him as your savior. You open the door of your heart. You, you invite him in. You live out what John said in the Revelation when he, he talked of Jesus saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and open the door, I will come into him. It means that we receive Christ as our Lord, giving him the control of our life, not an add-on sidecar. And it means that we repent, that we'd be willing to turn from anything that is not pleasing to God, anything and everything that's not pleasing to God. It means that he will reveal his will to us and that we grow in relationship with him, but we don't keep going the way we were going before when we were running away from God. We turn and we come to him. Do you believe? Well, I know most in this room do, but I don't know all of you. I haven't had conversations with every one of you about where you are in your spiritual journey. I just know that you're on one. And if you have yet to make that crossing from death to life, I want to invite you today to consider the possibility of what it could be like to have a life with God through Jesus Christ. But I want you to more, do more than just consider the possibility. I, I hope that there would be some who are ready to take that step. To invite Christ into their life. To let him be savior. To experience the forgiveness of sins. To know the joy that comes when our shame and guilt is removed and carried away. Oh, I'm so glad that when I stand before Jesus someday, he's not going to bring up some of the stupid things I've done in my life. Because he's already forgiven me for them. I've already presented to him. And the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Trust me, I'm glad he's not going to bring up some things. How about you? Have you made the crossing? Are you living in the joy and the completeness of love and faith and hope in Christ? If not, let today be the day.
Let now be the time you can receive this gift of eternal life, abundant life right now from Jesus. For with the heart man believes, and with his mouth he confesses. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever. If you want to receive that gift of eternal life through Christ, then then I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me. I'm going to ask us all to stand. You don't have to pray it out loud, but... If you're ready to make that crossing, would you just pray this prayer with me? You might say it in your own words, but pray this prayer. Those of you who already have made that crossing, use this time to give God thanks. That's what the Lord told Erica that today was about. Tell him thank you. And pray for those who are in the room and those who are not. Those of your friends and family have yet to make that crossing and ask the Spirit of God to come to them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your gift of eternal life. I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve forgiveness and grace. But you loved me and you died for me. And you rose from the grave to purchase my salvation, my forgiveness, my hope. To help me experience the love of God. I now trust you and only you for my life with God. And I turn away from my sin. And I leave behind wicked things. And I allow you to change me and make me new. Make me different. Make me fresh. Please, Lord, take control of my life. And thank you so very much. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.